this is our first Sunday that we are going to kind of call our Advent series. And I'd like to start off our sermon, my sermon here this morning, with a, actually a true story that took place back in 2017, so not too long ago. In 2017, there was uh, two commercial fishermen by the names of John Aldridge and Anthony Sosinski. And they, uh, they fished on the, the Atlantic Ocean, and so they left out of Long Island one day. And as they were heading out to sea, about 40 miles out offshore, Anthony was actually sleeping below deck, and John got up and he started getting things ready for their day's catch. Again, they were near arrival to their fishing destination. And as John was preparing some of the equipment, he was pulling very hard on a, a handle of some kind only to his dismay to find that the handle broke off, and since he was putting such force, he went stumbling back off the side of the boat and into the water. Unfortunately, however, the boat was on autopilot, and Anthony, his fishing partner, was below deck sleeping. And so now we have John bobbing in the water, and the boat is on autopilot, up and over the crest of the waves. He's in the water. His head breaches the surface. One final wave, and then the boat is out of sight. And picture yourself, if you could, even for a moment, the thoughts that are flooding your mind at that moment. What in the world? I did not think I was going to die like this. Well, as John watched the boat disappear out of sight, and of course, as I said, thoughts are just flooding in, he's wondering, is there any possible hope whatsoever for me? And he tried to calm himself down, and he's tried to putting away thoughts. He's like, no, I'm going to do this. I'm going to stick it out. In fact, I'm gonna, he, made a, he made a benchmark. I'm gonna, it's it's, it's kind of late in the evening. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to be, make it till morning. I'm going to try to make it till morning, and maybe by then someone will come to their senses. Maybe the Coast Guard will find me out in this open water. Again, we're 40 miles offshore in the Atlantic Ocean. Well, a thought crossed John's mind. He said, my boots, and he didn't even have a life jacket on. He said, my boots are actually buoyant. So he took them off and he dumped out the water and he shoved them in a certain way where it actually filled up with air and he was able to take both his boots and they acted as as a kind of a life preserver. And they kept him afloat in the open but very cold water. All of a sudden, there was a flicker of hope in John's mind. I didn't have a life preserver, and now I have something keeping me afloat. And as he was sitting there bobbing in the ocean, John couldn't help but think of his family and the fact that no one even knew, and even his own fishing partner didn't even know at that moment that he was floating in the water way out at sea. In fact, there was only two sharks that were floating about 15 feet nearby, and thankfully, they were also not interested in John at that moment. Again, another flicker of hope, right? Four hours later, we see that Anthony woke up and realized that his fishing partner, John, was gone, and he called the Coast Guard immediately, and of course, the Coast Guard said, yes, we will respond to this, but the commander admittedly said, hey, it's been some time now, it's been a number of hours, it sounds like. The odds are very much against your fishing partner, John. But on the boat, we see that Anthony, he started rummaging on what happened, trying to discover, and he he notices the broken handle, and he noticed, he's like, oh, I know exactly what happened. 
The handle's broken. He was pulling on it. And I know why he would have been pulling on the handle at this time because he would, we would have been at this depth. So actually, Anthony started putting the pieces of the puzzle together and realizing, I know approximately where John would have come off because he wouldn't have started pulling this equipment out until we got to this certain part of our fishing destination. And so he makes sure that the Coast Guard knew that. The helicopter's flying overhead. We see that another flicker of hope Uh, A glimmer of hope crosses John's mind as he's floating because he sees off in the distance there's a a fishing buoy. And he swims over to the fishing buoy and grabs on. And about an hour later, he hears the thunder, you know, that deep thunder. And it's the thunder of a helicopter. And we see that he's finally rescued. And, And we even see that the rescue diver says, hey, we've been looking for you for nine hours straight. And John replies back, I've been looking for you for 12. <laughs> and miraculously, John survived. This is a true story. This happened in 2017. You can look it up. It's miraculous. Even the Coast Guard was like, this was likely never going to happen. But by God's grace, John, was, was, he survived it really is a, an amazing story of survival, is it not? I mean, if you put yourself in, your, in, in John's boots, so to speak, and you, you've, you vision, kind of envision yourself bobbing in the water, how hopeful would you have been in that moment when you see the, the last sight of the boat go away? Very few people know exactly where you're at. In fact, nobody knows exactly where you're at. How hope-filled would you be in that moment that I'm going to get through this. It's going to be okay. Hard, but it's going to be okay. But hope sort of works like that. You see, hope is kind of the thought that maybe, just maybe, these boots will actually float and keep, me, keep my head above water. Hope is the thought that maybe, just maybe, those sharks are not hungry and interested in me right now. Hope is the thought that maybe, just maybe, my fishing partner will wake up and he'll put two and two together and he'll recognize even a a, a finer point of where I might be floating in the water, even with the currents taking me one way or the other. Hope, just maybe. What is hope for you? What does hope look like in your life? As I've given a lot of Alaska examples, I'll give you one more this morning. Hope is that first candle or oil lantern that's lit after the power goes out for the next three or four days. It's going to be okay. Different, but okay. Hope, perhaps, for you is uh, that first day you take your breath after a, a really terrible cold. Oh. Maybe on a more serious level, however, hope is that percentage that you do have of beating cancer. Hope, perhaps, for you is that faint line on that stick when you've been struggling to get pregnant. Hope is that ray of sunshine gleaming through the window after a very difficult and maybe tearful night. Hope is hearing those words, your child is going to be okay. You see, hope is the fuel 
that continues to increase and grow our faith. And hope is what we celebrate on this first Sunday of Advent. What is Advent? I've already told you. Advent means arrival. It means coming. It is a season of hope. It is a season that is marked by expectation. It is a season marked by waiting, anticipation, or longing. Advent is a season where it kind of it links the past and the present and the future all together. We can, in a sense, we get to, to identify with the ancient longings of, of ancient Israel when they long for that promised Messiah. It also connects to the present, at least the present then, when, when the Messiah finally came. God's promised one is now here. Hope is also a future longing where we look forward to the second coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We see that Advent is a season marked, even though it's marked by a lot of busyness and a lot of consumerism, it is also an opportunity to set aside time to prepare our hearts and to help place our focus on a much greater story than our own, a story that is all about God's redeeming love. For his world. In a sense, it's a season of digging deep into the reality of what it means to, a, to align ourselves with the fact that God sent his son, Emmanuel, God with us. It's a season of expectation and preparation, not just about presence, but God's presence in our life. So wherever you are at, wherever you are at in your spiritual journey, whatever is heavy on your heart or consuming your thoughts as of late, I invite you into this season of Advent because Advent is not just about God coming to fix us or God coming to fix what's broken and wrong in and of itself, but Advent is even more so that a celebration that God actually came that God actually comes to us, that God comes to be with us, that, that God comes to, to come alongside of us, that in our darkness of pain and in the chaos of our lives and in, in the chaos of the world in which we live, God comes. And he makes a way forward for us. The fact is, this is the way that God has been working from the very beginning of history. You know the story. You know your history. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And everything that he created, including the human race, was good. It was perfect. And, and God walked openly with Adam and Eve. He walked freely with Adam and Eve. There was no inhibition. There was, there was no, nothing that was standing in the way of full bliss, utter bliss and fellowship with God. But again, you know the story. Everything changed. There was a rift that formed between that relationship between God and the human race because of Adam and Eve's choice to rebel. And we see that sin ultimately had a corrupting effect of, in all of God's creation. And the reason why terrible things happen in our world today, the reason why we endure difficult things in our world today, the reason why death is a reality for all of us today is because of sin that entered into God's perfect creation long ago. And so we see that our world is broken. 
Our world struggles. Our world carries the weight of sin's effect. But God is redeeming all of that. Do you realize that God is redeeming his creation even today? This is really the story of the Bible that God is actually on the move and he's working in very strategic and divine ways to make all things right, to renew what has been corrupted, to renew and to fix what has been broken, to, to mend what has been severed, especially that relationship that once existed between God and the human race. We see that God makes a way and he instills hope through covenant promises. You read in Genesis chapter 12, for example, right? He calls Abram, later called Abraham. He says, Abraham, through you, all the nations, all peoples of this world are going to be blessed. Of course, in that moment, Abraham has no idea what God is really talking about, but all peoples will be blessed. And then he reminds his grandson Jacob of the same covenant promise. He says in Genesis 28, he says, I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And of course, we see from those covenant promises, much time had passed, years, generations, and centuries have passed. And of course, we as human beings can be very impatient people, right? How long, O Lord, you've made this covenant promise. When are you going to do this? When are you going to provide this promise? When are you going to fulfill these promises of hope for us? And though it was a long time, there was always this longing for God to fulfill his covenant and to provide his Messiah. In the midst of that long journey, we see that Isaiah the prophet reminds the people of Israel 700 years before Christ even came onto the scene about God's covenant promises. God raised up prophets of many kinds, both in Judah as well as the people of Israel, and reminding them, God has not forgotten you. Yes, you will have to reap what you sow, but God has not forgotten you. He continues to work all things for the glory of his name. He continues to work all things to redeem his creation and to call people to himself. And so we see in Isaiah 7, for example, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call his name Emmanuel. We see two chapters later, Isaiah the prophet, again, inspired by God himself, by the Spirit of God, and and as a way of encouragement to God's people, he says, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of the government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. I mean, can you imagine living in this moment, living in the ancient world, obviously well before smartphones, 
living in this ancient world, and the prophet Isaiah declares this message, declares this reminder over the people. I mean, imagine the hope of promise, like, oh, God is still doing this. He hasn't forgotten us. He still plans to redeem us. He, he's not letting us alone to ourselves. He is going to act. In fact, he is already acting. And you know what? Isaiah's vision of God with us which is what Emmanuel means, continue to fuel a hope even a millennia later. We see in Luke's gospel that Zechariah the priest would have been well acquainted with the, with the prophet Isaiah and his words of hope. Luke describes the priest Zechariah as a man who was blameless and righteous before God, and he was a well-respected spiritual leader for the people of Israel, and he undoubtedly held a deep longing for the Messiah that had been promised so long ago. And then all of a sudden, one day, Zechariah is taken back. Out of the blue, one day, an angel Tell Zechariah another prophecy, a fulfillment of prophecy, in fact. And we see in and of itself, that was actually pretty miraculous because it had been over 400 years that anyone had spoken from God. Think about it, 400 years. The United States is only 245 years old today or this year. 400 years and no one has spoken on behalf of God to God's people. No doubt people are beginning to wane in their hope. No doubt beginning to kind of lose. Like, I don't even know if God is going on with plan A. I think he might have moved on to plan B, perhaps. Perhaps he says, this is not going to work. We're going to try another option here. But then an angel appears and tells Zechariah, that you will have a son. Zechariah, you and Elizabeth are going to have a son who will go before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah and turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of righteousness to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, Zechariah understood the significance of this message. He knew the prophecies, right? He knew what the angel was declaring over him. And he also understood the miraculous nature of how this would actually even happen because guess what? Zechariah and Elizabeth, much like Abraham and his wife Sarah, were very old. We might refer to them as beyond birthing years. They were old. How in the world is Elizabeth's womb, who has been barren her entire life, all of a sudden going to give birth to a promised child who is going to prepare the way of the Lord? And of course, in those times, it was a very shameful time, a difficult time, not only for the priest, Zechariah, but especially for Elizabeth, his wife. Oh, Zechariah, Elizabeth, such great people, servants of the Lord, but man, kind of a bummer, not able to have children, perhaps even making some think, yeah, he's a righteous and blameless man, but you know what? There's, there's got to be something behind the scenes. There's got to be something below the surface because why would God curse them in this way? So Zechariah, upon hearing this news, he's a, obviously a bit in shock, maybe mumbling and stuttering, and in response, he's like, I, I don't know how this is even possible, Lord. 
I mean, you do know my age and my wife's age, right? And of course, because of his unbelief, we see that God doesn't retract his promises, but he says, Zechariah, because of your unbelief, you can no longer speak until your son John, whom we refer to as John the Baptist, is born. So he's mute till the day he names John. Kind of an inconvenience for the priest who speaks to the people. Maybe some of you are going, Aaron, would you also be mute? (laughs) But can you imagine the hope? Can you imagine the hope that was reinstilled, that kind of sprang up after this message that the angel declared to Zechariah? I mean, these are the old prophecies are finally coming into fulfillment. The one prophesied to come in the spirit of Elijah to prepare the way for the Messiah is now coming. It's happening, people. God is moving to restore that which was broken. He's here to restore and to bring us hope by being here among us. God is here to stir things up and change eternity forever. Hope is alive in Israel once again. Hope is alive for earth once again. Perhaps some of you are thinking here this morning, however, Aaron, that's all nice and great for those people thousands of years ago. But what about us? What hope is there for me? Were they fighting cancer? Was their spouse killed in war on the other side of the world? Or wasn't home? When they came back? Do they lose their job without warning and have bills to pay and debts stacking up and kids expecting Christmas presents, not to mention meals on the table? What hope is there for me? May I say to you that no matter what kind of problems and struggles you are facing right now, no matter what kind of season of darkness and pain that you may be experiencing right now, let me encourage you to not abandon hope. Hope is still alive, even in the deepest and most hopeless circumstances. Hope is still alive. Why? Because God is with us. God is with you. How can you know this? What truths or or perspective can reinstill this this hope that God is with me? I think there's a number of ways, but let me point you to a few. One of the first ways, one of the prominent ways that we know that God is with us because we see that hope is based on the authority of, of God's word. We talked about this last week, least week, right? Part of what it means that God is with us is that his written, is that the written word he has left for us. In other words, scripture is God's revelation of himself and it's his promises to his people both long ago as well as us for us today. His words are actually a beacon of hope for all of us. 
They are reminders that, we, that can penetrate our hearts and, and reassure us that no matter what we are facing, no matter how bleak the circumstances, no matter how bleak tomorrow looks like, no matter how bad the pain is, that God will never leave us, that he will never forsake us, and there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is an appropriate spot, sort of spot for an Amen. I love what Psalm 139 says. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings in the dawn, and if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The light will shine like the day, for darkness is as a light to you. Can you feel the hope in those words? They say that you're not alone. In other words, God with us means that he will always be with us, and nothing, may I say again, nothing can take that away. So as we move through Advent... May I encourage you to dig deep into the words of Scripture with great expectation. (laughs) Can I get some water? Dig deep in the words of Scripture with great expectation. Because God is with us, we can find rest for our weary souls, knowing that we are never alone. That he is always working in and among us. And that he is not yet done with his greatest and final work within us. So first of all, we have hope because of what scripture promises. But secondly, hope is based on God's character. Hope is based on God's character. In other words, hope is is rekindled when we put our focus on who he is and, and what he promises to be to us. There's a small story uh, in the book of Mark. You might actually recall this story. I know we've preached on it before, so it won't be new news to most of us. But in this, in this narrative account in Mark chapter 5, there's a story of a woman. Not just any old woman, but a woman who has had a very troubling physical ailment, bleeding, in fact, for over 12 years. She's been at the mercy of doctors who could do nothing for her. She's been at the mercy of other people that promise some sort of potential solution only to no avail. And we see that not only is she struggling physically and year by year it gets worse and worse and worse and worse, but we also see that this physical ailment has implications holistically. Because she is has this bleeding problem, she's also ostracized socially, she's ostracized spiritually. There is no opportunity for her. She is alone. And then one day, guess what? She hears that Jesus is walking through town. Which, by the way, if you know the backstory, Jesus, two days prior, had just heard that his, one of his best friends, Lazarus, was deathly sick. Please come, Jesus. You need to come quickly. He hears the news, and he stays two more days. Not quite the urgency that people were hoping for. And then he begins to 
gradually make his way to his friend Lazarus, being fully willing to be interrupted by all these other needs in front of him, one such need being this woman who has no name, according to us. This woman thinks to herself, if only I can wiggle my way through the crowds unnoticed and touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. And so Jesus is walking along, sandwiched by crowds of people, and she wiggles her way through unnoticed, grabs the hem of his, his little cloak, and Jesus stops. Uh-oh. And he says, who touched me? Of course, the disciples are going like, Jesus, you're crazy. What are you talking about? Everybody's touching you, Jesus, right now. What's going on? You're, you're sandwiched by crowds of people. You're asking who touched you? He's like, no, power came out of me. And now this woman realizes, I've been found out. I could not just slip in unnoticed, be healed, and slip away unnoticed. And in that moment, Jesus draws attention to this woman. And the spotlight, in a sense, focuses on her. And we see that Jesus ultimately connects with her on a very deep and direct level because, after all, he is God with us. And even after her healing from touching the hem of his garment, we see that she's healed in other ways. And she's given peace and she's given freedom that ultimately changed her life forever. No longer she is an outcast on a spiritual and social level. Now she's reunited with friends and family. Now she can be with people. Jesus did not just allow physical healing. It was holistic healing. To this day, we talk about this woman. One day we'll be able to meet this woman. The fact is, this is our God, and this is his character. Jesus is worthy, and he, was, and, and he was, and he still continues to be with us even to this day. He fulfilled Israel's hope for the Messiah when he arrived that first Christmas. He fulfilled humanity's hope for victory over death when he resurrected that first Easter. And one day, he will ultimately fulfill all hopes and complete all of his work at the total restoration of all creation. That's the hope we cling to. That is the hope we long for. That is the hope that brings us peace and rest, even in the midst of our struggle. As Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 28, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So hope is based on God's promises in Scripture. Hope is based on God's character. And third, hope is based on God's faithfulness. Let me ask you this question for the sake of your own personal reflection. How has God worked in your life? I mean, just think for a moment, even recently, how has God worked in your life? What are those moments and those memories that you have experienced God working in your life in a very clear, undeniable, divine way? I'm really talking about those times where you're like, no, that was definitely God. I can't help but think of my, my brother, Doc. He's, he's up there. He's down there. Where is he at? Doc, where are you? 
Okay, he's streaming in the back. He's listening to me. I don't see him. Doc Bodet recently went in for surgery. It was almost conclusive, at least as far as people could tell, that it was cancerous. And he just said, he's like, Aaron, this wave of rush of peace just just settled in my heart. And I went into surgery with this absolute assurance that regardless of the outcome, regardless of the verdict, regardless of what it is, I'm okay. He says, I, I, was, I was preparing for the worst and totally at peace about it. And thanks be to God, it wasn't. But I love the fact that he went in going, it doesn't matter whether it is or isn't. God is with me, and I know because I have absolute peace in my heart. What does that have to do with hope? What do those memories or those recalled memories have to do with me here and now? Let me just encourage you in this way. Gratitude breeds hope. When, when we are encouraged or exhorted in Scripture in 1 Thessalonians 5, that the will of God is that we would give thanks in all circumstances. In everything, give thanks. It doesn't say for everything, give thanks, but it says in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So we see that gratitude breeds hope. Thankfulness fosters hope. Acknowledgement and appreciation brings about hope. Remembering God's faithfulness brings hope. I love the words of the prophet Isaiah, once again, in the book of Lamentations, right? You probably have not read Lamentations in a very long time. Maybe ever, I don't know. But listen to these words in Lamentations chapter 3. Jeremiah says this, Yet this I recall to mind, and therefore I have hope. This is what I recall, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those who hope in him, to one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Did you catch that? This I recall to mind, and therefore I have hope. Jeremiah understood that there was hope in a a future when they remembered God's past faithfulness. What enabled them and empowered the people of Israel to move forward with confidence and assured living wasn't the outcome or the circumstances in front of them. It was looking back in hindsight and seeing, look how faithful God has been. He's always been faithful. He's always been there for me. He has never let me down. He's done exceedingly abundantly above all that I could ask or think. This is our God. So even though the, the, the forecast in front of me looks bleak, and, and dire and scary. God has always been faithful. And he promises to be with me, to never leave me, to never forsake me. He is God with us. 
I pray that as we nurture this living hope in our lives, that it will sustain us through our darkest days as we wait for God to move. I close in this. Paul says these words nearing the end of his letter in Romans chapter 15, verse 13. He says, May the Lord, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's bow our heads. Father, we, we right now, we celebrate you and we say thank you that, that we don't walk through the valley of the shadow of death by ourselves. But we walk through the valley of the shadow of death with confidence and peace because you are with us. And your rod and your staff, they comfort us. And they reassure us that even though we are powerless in our circumstances, you are all powerful. And that there is always hope. Not hope that is dependent upon what we see, but hope that is dependent upon you. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that you cannot deny your character, that you were the same yesterday, today, and forever. Thank you for the promises of Scripture, Lord. Thank you for the men and women that we get to look to and and how they cling to you and how even in Hebrews chapter 11, how so many people of faith never wavering in their hope that you would come, always anticipating, always longing, never throwing in the towel, never cowering, never defeated. Not because they were strong, not because they were unique people or superhuman strength, but because you were strong in them. Father, instill that hope and that faith in us. Holy Spirit, fill us afresh. May we not waver. May we not be defeated. May we not be discouraged. May we look to you, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Fill us afresh with hope, divine hope, Father, that you go before us and that we are in your hands. So even now, Father, we desire to to respond to this great hope that you are with us, that this, this season of Advent is all about you have come and you've never left. All praise and glory and honor be to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.